By series end, this is from Kevin Smith. By series end, I realized Cacophony wasn't the best Batman story I could write. (laughs) (laughs) Nor was it Walt's finest hour. By the time we were finished, I saw Cacophony for what it was. A dress rehearsal for the best Batman story I could write and Walt could draw. Quentin Tarantino once told me that he wanted to do another martial arts flick after the Kill Bill films because by the time those flicks were done, he'd learned how to do it. His logic was, now I've got all this expertise in the field, so why not put it to use immediately? So the three issues of Cacophony gave birth to a 12-issue maxi-series that Walt and I are working on now for release this fall, entitled Batman the Widening Gyre. It is, for sure, the best Batman story either of us can do. That might be true. Welcome to Divisive Issues, a weekly comedy podcast where we talk about comic books and comic book related things. I'm Ryan Lynch. I'm Sly Crapo. And I'm Phil Maverickus. Welcome, everybody, to another exciting installment. And what book are we doing today? Today, we're doing Batman the Widening Gyre, the sequel to last week's episode, Batman Cacophony by Kevin Smith. So if you haven't listened to last week's, you should probably. Or maybe you don't. It doesn't really matter. No, yeah, the book barely matter. ties in. Well, actually, yeah. I, I would argue uh, you, uh, this story has no meaning to you unless you read uh, Cacophony or, or at least Green Arrow from Kevin Smith. I don't think you need to. I know you're. I know what you're talking about, but I don't think you need to do it to appreciate what the story's going for. Uh, but you do need to know what uh, what the fucking meaning the twist is supposed to have. Like it's just a fucking whatever. We'll get into it. So okay, anyway, yeah, anyway, yeah. let's first. What's this book about, Sly? It's about uh, Batman is reflecting. On his past, and as a new uh, ally shows up in Gotham called Baphomet, that's how to pronounce it, right? Uh, he's like Baphomet, oh, whatever. <laughs> Baphomet, and Baphomet is like a goat man mask guy. And <laughs> he's not a goat man; he's a dude with a mask. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he wears a goat mask. <laughs> he has a goat mask, but people call him Goat Man, so I'm not completely <laughs> off base with that description. But uh, he, uh, so Baphomet is like uh, doing everything for Batman. He's like uh, being super reliable. And Batman's reflecting his life and how he was with Robin, the Robins and all these other characters. And he's like, maybe I'm too untrustworthy. Maybe I should open up to his Baphomet. And at the same time, he's dating his old girlfriend, Silver St. Cloud. And Batman's wondering, maybe I should just retire and trust his Baphomet to take over Gotham in my place. Yeah, the, the like main theme of the book is um, the line between like personal and work <laughs> you know being batman <laughs> yeah. He, yeah. he never allows that to get blurred until now he's reflecting on what he's done and if he can let himself actually live a normal life um if baphomet could take over yeah and in the meantime it kind of goes through batman's history and kind of recaps a lot of important stuff and like that's why i actually find this a lot more accessible than cacophony because i feel like it kind of catches you up on a lot of his roads. Well, it's actually a, a story. This is actually a, a, a that's fully... True, that's true. It actually has a theme that we can describe. It actually has things that support that theme. Yeah. And this is a real This is a real work of fiction that actually um, can be talked about, unlike Cacophony, which I guess <laughs> is really fitting for that name. Yeah. So, uh, target audience, who should read this, Phil? Uh, Phil should read this because he actually likes the story. 
Yeah, I think if you don't know that much, because you're saying this is a good recap of all these events. I didn't, I didn't know any of these events or any of these characters actually, but I still, um, I still enjoyed it as a, a superhero reflecting on is it time to give up the mask type story. Um, so, who should read it? People who are interested in Batman, who want to see uh, the interaction of his personal desires and what he can actually do with his life. Um, yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. There are a handful of Batman stories that kind of do this, that, like, go through, like, basically a laundry list of Batman characters and continuity and kind of, like, fill in the gaps. I would say most of the other ones are written by Jeff Loeb, like Long Halloween and Hush. And I feel like this is very much in that same vein. So if you're like a newer Batman fan, I think it does a pretty good job at kind of catching you up through some of the main themes of Batman and main characters and main important things. And like part of Batman's whole thing is he does this story does happen a lot. It happens in the movies, too, where it's like he has this love interest. Should he give up being Batman and have a real happy life with them? And I feel like this book does that pretty well. I think it does, too. What about you, Sly? Uh, I do want to point out that Ryan really uh, likes this book a lot less than Phil. And, and, I, and I think I'm in between the two of you guys, in, in my opinion, on this. But uh, I think uh, this book has the mention returns the more familiar you are with Batman. Because like Ryan said, there are stories that do this story, but do it better. And, yeah. And it's like, but unlike like, a lot of Kevin Smith stuff, he brings up a lot that, oh, we've, we've seen it before. Unlike other Kevin Smith stuff, this actually does it pretty well. This isn't just him rehashing things and doing it shittily. This is him rehashing and doing a pretty good... Addition. Yeah, and if you are, I do have some major problems with it that we'll get to later. I'm not necessarily saying this is a great book, but what it sets out to do, I get what Kevin Smith is going for. I actually think he succeeds in his intention, but we'll get to why I actually hate this book later. I get that, and I, I when I was saying I liked it, I meant like I think it's okay. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah, that's, it's a, like, that's a big clarification. Say it's okay versus um, actually good. It. Okay, so I could say I enjoyed it, but would I say, like, this is a great story? Um, even though I haven't, you know, I'm not as familiar with Batman, I could tell by reading it, like, this this must be a used trope. Like, should I give up my Batman life for... Well, I mean, they do it in, they do it in, like, three or four different movies. Yeah, that's true. That's Batman Forever. Batman Forever is called Batman Forever because I should be Batman Forever or no? Yeah, and, like, <laughs> they do it with, like, basically every time Batman has a love interest, they do this. Yeah. And, but, and like, and like it's funny, because now, because of me, I've I've turned this conversation negative like I always do. <laughs> I honestly would not recommend this story to anyone, because I hate this book. No. But, <laughs> no, I would not recommend it on one ground, just because it's an unfinished story, and that, like, oh, yeah. I, I wouldn't want yeah. people to read it and be disappointed in that fact. And that's Kevin Smith's yeah. fault, because he introduced a a decent story and didn't finish it so that's his on him that's not on anyone but him yeah that has a big reason why I really hate this book I actually will change my opinion I don't recommend this because it's unfinished it, it really like it, it, the first half you're like this is pretty cool but if it doesn't have a second half it's it's shitty by it's nature because it, it's not a full story so I've successfully turned everyone's opinions against this book <laughs> so a little bit we gave a lot of backstory on the creative team last time. It's the same exact team as last time. But I do just want to point out that even though I think like Kevin Smith's writing does get a little bit better here, it's okay. I do 
it, it's, okay, it's okay. But I actually think Walt Flanagan's art is a lot better in this book than it was in Cacophony. Well, the people don't, don't, there's only one person that's like a demonic monster, and this person is supposed to like a demonic monster. Yeah. I completely agree. The art, to me, was so much better this time. I also argue Kevin Smith's writing is a lot better. Just on one note, because this captures more of what people like about Kevin Smith, and that's his dialogue. And this has very annoying, bro-y, fucking stoner comedy Kevin Smith. But also, it does give you some give some charm to the characters, too, at points. And yeah. the, the, like, the bro-y comedy uh, is generally between bros. Like, it's not like Batman's talking. It's not talking, with a narrator. <laughs> right, or Batman's talking to, like, uh, you know, Commissioner Gordon. and It's like when he's talking to Robin, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that's okay. Also, I have to I have to give Walt some credit. Uh, a lot of times Batman has, like, you know, the really super attractive playboy girlfriends and stuff. But in this book, they use Silver St. Cloud. And I think Walt does a really great job at making her, like, much more, like, just physically her appearance a lot more than just, like, the standard woman in comics body. He does a lot of detail with her face and her emotion. And like, I think he really captures like her bringing out the soft side of Batman. And I think that's actually by far my high points of this book is like the stuff with silver. I agree. And I just think that he does a really, really great job at like showing the more human side of, of the love interest. And I, I just, I think Walt does a great job in this book. So I just yeah. want to ask before we start, uh, Phil, uh, you know what the poem this is based on. Oh, yeah. When, so when you actually, when you guys first mentioned that we were going to be reading Widening Gyre, my immediate thought was the Yates poem, Second Coming. Uh, <laughs> of um, course. Where, you know. A it, little it, out of our comfort zone on no, the it's, show. Okay. It's pretty common. I'm sure you, you actually read it in school. Uh, turning and turning in the Widening Gyre, the Falcon cannot hear the Falconer, things fall apart, the center cannot hold. That, like a, yeah, all, yeah, yeah. A lot yeah, of things yeah. are, are named after this, actually. Things Fall Apart is a Chinua Achebe book named after this. And actually, Kevin Smith, in each issue, the name of the issue is a line from the poem, uh, which is cool. But my initial thought was, oh, this is some kind of apocalyptic story because the second coming is about, like, the apocalypse. And uh, this story kind of doesn't have to... Unless I'm missing a connection somewhere, it doesn't really have anything... to to do with an apocalypse or anything is like that. There a, is there a Baphomet character or anything about a goat man in the poem? No. It's really uh, short. It's only like it's only like 10 lines. Well, I, maybe it's a satanic connection because it's like on the cover of the first issue they have Baphomet and like a, uh, the sign of the devil. That, you know, the, the pentagram? Yeah, pentagram. Uh, so maybe it's a, uh, Baphomet supposed to represent the devil in the apocalypse. And he's oh, yeah, the, maybe. Bring the apocalypse and, and, to Batman. Yeah, and maybe like um, the second issue would, the second half of the story would have connected it more because even the chapters they only go halfway through the poem because I guess he was uh, planning on finishing this, so maybe it would have connected better if this was a finished story. Um, but it's a cool connection, I think, and I like that each chapter had a, a name from the poem. I actually like I bitched about some cacophony, but I do find the words Kevin Smith uh, used for his titles pretty, pretty cool. I just wish he had something more to do with the story he's writing. Yeah, that's I, fair. I agree. Uh, one thing that we keep mentioning that it's like cut short and all this stuff. It was supposed to be twelve issues, and he only finished six of them. So the trade that you could go buy is six issues long, and that's so that's all that there is, right? He never even made it seven. Nope. Yeah, he has. Okay. What happened was uh, we'll get into this later on, but as usual, Kevin Smith got wrapped up in TV and film stuff, and he's like, "Can't finish my comic stuff." Uh, he got wrapped up in something that makes way, way, way more money. Can't really blame him. Yeah, that's fair. 
But uh, you want to get to this uh, piece of shit or, or uh, <laughs> mediocre shit, whatever you want to call it. It's a mediocre book. I am all. Yeah. So right. uh, which which after cacophony, I was both like surprised and I, I have complicated opinions. <laughs> this is actually probably Phil's Phil's best uh, book so far on the show. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Especially coming from Cacophony, I was like, I didn't hate reading this. Actually, like, it was okay. After Cacophony, feels like, I mean, they should quit the show. I can't stand it <laughs> I actually felt the same way, but then it, my opinion very quickly about Faced, but we'll get to that. Well, I was also the same way. Like, I want to quit the show, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so. Okay, so who, who wants to do this? I usually do it, thing. so I'll do it. If you don't mind. Okay. okay. Unless you guys want to change the order and do a reboot again no we're gonna keep things the same okay Sly. All right, so and then as soon as you start doing a shit job we'll fix it <laughs> all right so story opens up with uh batman. bullshit sly you suck ah fuck so the story <laughs> opens up in the past with batman and robin fighting a villain called baron blitzkrieg who's like a nazi villain a nazi iron man basically uh, he even looks like iron man yeah he, he has really the does. same also i have to say starting a story like that i did not see that coming <laughs> the, the, the Nazi part or the or what? I no, I oh. did not see that coming. <laughs> Nazi, ah, oh, that coming. Yeah, man. no, I, but I really didn't see it coming. I didn't expect the comic to open with Nazis burning Jews on like Yom Kippur or something. <laughs> They're like in a temple, and yeah. they just it's it's Baron Blitzkrieg and the Atomic Skull just falling through this window and just like melting Jewish people. It's, it's weird. Alright, so, moving so what, on. What happens? Batman and Robin fight uh, these two guys, and as they're fighting, uh, Robin's always the like, optimistic, happy, jokey guy. We could tell from the costumes and the narration that this is set way in the past. Yeah. So, like, Robin has his, like, he's really, like, he's just, silver agey and cute. He has his tidy whities on. Yeah, he's got the short green trunks, and, like, you know, he's saying, like, holy, whatever, you know, telling jokes. Like, it's obviously set in, holy like, bar mitzvah Batman comics. and stuff like that. He's also wearing a yarmulke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, he's, and um, basically, as they're fighting, Batman is like, oh, uh, Robin is too cheerful and happy about this shit. He should be bitter and angry at like me. And uh, But while he's saying that in the narration, Batman is still, like, in the flashback, smiling. Yeah. And, like, obviously Dick is having that, you know, cheerful effect on Batman, which is why Robin's the best character, but that's besides the yeah. point. <laughs> so then it cuts to modern day where... In a really cool transition, I think, where yeah. it's like... Him smiling at Robin and then him smiling at, uh, what's his name, Nightwing? Nightwing, yes. Yeah. Robin grew up, he became his own hero called Nightwing in his own city. And he called Batman to help him fight a neo-Nazi at a grocery store. And Batman's like, I don't know what I'm here, this is stupid. And Yeah, and this guy's just like mugging a grocery store, why does he need my help? Yeah, and it turns out it's because the, the neo-Nazi have stolen Baron Blitzkrieg's armor. And uh, it's it's a mirror of the past story where Batman is still like, oh, right. even after all these years, Nightwing is still fucking too cheery and uppity. Uh, he should be bitter and angry like me. Uh, and, and they're not even in Gotham. They're in Nightwing City. So, like, he definitely, like, called. It's not like he was, like, driving past. Like, he called Batman to come to yeah. the city for this. Blood hate. And I love, I love how the new Baron, Baron Blitzkrieg is, like, actually Iron Man where he has, like, Iron Man pose. And he's like, Aryan army, assemble! <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, that's definitely on purpose. I know. It's it's pretty good. Like we said for a cacophony, I think Walt wanted to draw Iron Man, and he was like, well, here you go. He's the most in DC has. Baron Blitzkrieg. Yeah. But, uh, so, uh, I did call uh, Batman just to deal with this, just because he wanted to do it for nostalgia's sake, because they both took out Baron Blitzkrieg in the past. 
but it was also a secondary purpose because Batman's like, oh, why'd you call me here? I'm leaving. Fuck you, dick. You dick. And, uh... <laughs> Who are you calling a dick? By the way, whenever people, like, in live action, people use the name dick. Like, in Batman Robin, the movie, where, uh, George Clooney's looking to, uh, the other guy, Chris O'Donnell, and saying, okay, I work with Poison Ivy, she's trying to kill you, dick. I, I always hear it as, she's trying to kill you, you dick. That movie also is, like, pretty tongue-in-cheek, and they say it with the intonation that it's supposed to be like that. I feel like a lot of, a, a, a lot of writers, <laughs> a lot of writers do that as well. Where they, like, kind of are like, yeah, we know, we know. It's so funny how there's a character named Dick in this year of our Lord 2016. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's funny that you're still laughing at this, like, 15 years later. <laughs> but, um... Yeah. So, uh... So it turns out the secondary reason why Dick called uh, Batman to uh, Bloodhaven, this guy in the morgue, uh, who is covered in vines uh, emanating from his corpse, and uh, Batman figures it's poison ivy... And he goes back to Gotham to confront her in Arkham Asylum. Wait, you're missing a really important part where he's talking to to Nightwing. And he turns around and Nightwing's gone. And he goes, the kid pulled a me and smiles. <laughs> yeah, this kind of stuff I talked about when, like, there's, like, charming moments that make you, like, really uh, bond with the characters a bit. Unlike most of the other characters. Yeah, and the, stuff. The, panel, the panel of him smiling is, a dir- like, basically a direct copy of him smiling like in the flashback so it shows that even though he's all like grumpy and miserable now like dick still has that impact on him yeah nothing makes batman smile like dick <laughs> yeah but uh so then he goes they go batman goes to poison ivy in arkham and he bought... oh he also stops to vi- to get the boat and get a sandwich from alfred oh uh, <laughs> like, yeah that was un- unnecessary <laughs> but uh yeah so they go to batman goes to arkham and uh, Poison Ivy is, is like, t- has taken over the place, covered with vines, and, like, entrapped all the people in their cells. And uh, she's, like, in the middle of, like, the gardens, and she's half-naked, and she basically, like, do me bad. Half-naked? Half-naked, like <laughs> She's completely naked and has two leaves yeah. over her crotch and her hair in front of her nipples. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, That's and uh, she's half-naked. And she's, like, do me bad, man, and Batman's like, no. And uh, I find this funny because now DC is trying hard to make Poison Ivy like a role model for girls. And comics <laughs> just make that kind of funny to me. Yeah. One thing I do want to point out is we talked about how, like, in Cacophony, he uses Maxi Zeus just for, like, no reason because he wants to make Greek jokes. I actually find that a lot of his dialogue here really shows a much deeper understanding of the villains than I expected. Like, Poison Ivy is, like, she says she always respected Batman because he calls her Poison Ivy and not, like, her human slave name. And she goes into, like, detail about the different types of hormones and plants she's using. And she's written as, like, way smarter. And then Killer Croc is the guy that's the most easily manipulated by her hormones because he's so much more, like, animalistic. And I actually was like, wow, Kevin Smith's actually using these characters properly. To shit on Ryan's point here, uh, I, I do agree he, he's uh, using these characters properly. But I also feel like the story has a huge element of characters showing up and be like, hey, I'm here now. Which is what happens when Killer Croc shows up. He's like, hey, I'm here now. Bam, beats him up. And he's like, no longer there anymore. I yeah. Think, I think the the story has a lot of like what we could consider unnecessary characters. But I think for this type of story where it's a reflection on your life as a hero... It's okay. Even though I would say for, yeah. for comics like Flashpoint, they really hated how they just kept bringing in characters. Here, the fact that you don't get to know them too well is fine because it's it's going through all my villains as my as like for my hero identity. Yeah, I, I'm on Phil's side. I'm here. against your both of you because you guys are shitheads. But um, my <laughs> argument is that I feel that explanation would work better 
it still felt like their villains are more key, key to Batman's identity. Like, Joker's in this, but he's really brushed over. Two-Face only gets a cameo. Scarecrow's not in there at all. Like, the most iconic Batman villains are barely in the story at all. Well, I feel like he leaves us out because everybody already knows that. I know, but, but like, I, like, if you're going to throw in crazy quotes, like, villains who are just usually thugs or jokes... But it's not it's not necessarily like here's a montage of his greatest foes cuz it's like it, random shit would, as he fought at one point. It's not random shit. It's it's cuz it goes from the past and it has like all these like team fights, it has solo fights, it has a lot of situations where you're just like it's just a lot of it shows his rep- like how many villains are in his arsenal basically of people he's yeah. fought. Okay, well actually hold on, hold on. Counterpoint to myself is I felt that way about Killer Croc and Poison Ivy that like this makes sense. Then all of a sudden, for no reason, Etrigan the Demon. That's what to say. Yeah, yeah I that I agree is. with you. I don't know why he's here. Can we also just mention before we move on that uh, when he's fighting Killer Croc and Poison Ivy, the in between the panels is all vines. It's a really cool artistic effect. I thought. Yeah, and then the last panel when Etrigan shows up, the vines are all on fire. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really cool. We should also point out that yeah. Poison Ivy was uh, as she was, as Ben was fighting Killer Croc. Poison Ivy was uh, injecting Batman of THC to try to get him high because uh, yeah. it's Kevin Smith writing the story. But, yeah, yeah, she's like, true. well, my pheromones don't work on you, but pot will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, d- d- so like Ryan mentioned, the demon Etrigan shows up, and the demon Etrigan is like a yellow rhyming oh, demon. Also, hold, hold on. one other thing about the scene. <laughs> to point out, like you said, like it's Kevin Smith, so like the THC, like pot, LOL. Yeah. Poison Ivy also makes really, really middle school sex jokes. She's like, "Don't you want to explore the little ladies' jungle?" And like, oh, yeah. she's basically she's basically one step b- b- behind. Like, "Hey, look, Bush, get it?" Ha <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, Demetrian, the most obvious example of this random character shows up, shows up, and he's a rhyming yellow demon, and he's eating people. Which I don't know if he did in the past, but he does here. Etrigan's someone that every time he shows up, he has a totally different characterization. Yeah, so yeah, but uh, Etrigan is eating people, and Batman's like, stop eating people, and Etrigan's like, no. And uh, they fight, and Etrigan starts beating Batman's ass until uh, goat, the goat guy, I mean, mentioned, Baphomet, shows up and uh, splashes holy water on him, and then leaves. And that wraps up that story. <laughs> yeah, and Batman doesn't know him. He's just like, oh, that guy helped me, but I'm too, like, damaged to go chase him. Hope he's a good guy. Yeah, he's like, He's yeah. beaten up, and it's funny how the first, it was one thing that sucks about this story. I think where the one you know, thing Kevin Smith, <laughs> one <laughs> of the things that sucks is that Kevin Smith, like you said last time, does like to highlight his characters, his original characters more. Yeah. So Batman constantly gets his ass kicked to be saved by Baphomet, and yeah. like yeah, it's just a it's like a it's kind of like a, a crutch for a writer to have to to do that. It's it's cheap. We call it in the comic world. We call it jobbing out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Baphomet uh, comically takes out some of these villains. Like uh, most of them aren't even the challenge. Like we like Etrigan was murdering Batman, and, and uh, Baphomet shows up and just splashes him in holy water and leaves. Like in like one page. Like he yeah. comically yeah. takes out these villains. That ends issue one. Uh, issue two opens up with. Batman fighting a guy on the roller coaster is holding a girl hostage. And the, the, yeah. and the guy throws the girl off the, the coaster to buy himself some time. And she looks really happy about it, according to the <laughs> art. Like, she's, like, really from uh, year to year. Well, you don't know what it's like when you're about to die. You're just, like, it's like a... She's in awe of what... She's, she's really... waiting for a sweet release of death. She's like, yes, finally. <laughs> yeah. It has come upon me. Well, I, from what I hear, the fall isn't really bad. It's the sudden stop at the end. <laughs> Good, good one. <laughs> but, uh... Right, guys? 
So well, as Batman, like you know, it's a classic trick where uh, basically what what Onmatopoeia pulled on Batman last time, where you know, save Joker or, or stop me. Where and, and instead, of this case is saving somebody that actually needs saving, which is an innocent girl. It's an innocent girl that it's a lot more of a. And this villain is is just a pedophile with a gun, right? Yeah, in fun land. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> but it turns out, uh, even though Batman's like, yeah, shit, let him go. It turns out that uh, Baphomet showed up and took the shooter out while Batman was saving the girl. That's not as much jobbing, I think. Like that, like no, this was that fine. makes sense. But that this... poor nameless shooter, he got jobbed so hard. <laughs> <laughs> it this one was an okay example of that, and this is where they first introduced the theme of hmm, this guy is helping me out. He could be potentially an asset on my side. Especially given the parallelism that, like, he talks about, like, how Dick was such a great partner and now Dick went solo. The only real flaw to this, though, is Batman does have a Robin at this point, yeah. and he shows up later. What the fuck is Tim doing? Yeah. But that's besides, <laughs> that's the, point. besides the point. I didn't even think about that. But, yeah. uh, so then Batman's flashbacking again. This time, too, when the toy man was visiting Gotham... <laughs> With a giant jester robot, a giant mech robot toy thing. Yeah. And again, it's a flashback to campy Silver Age stuff, like the Nazi robots and stuff. Yeah. And uh, Superman shows up and smashed the mech. And Rob was like, oh yeah, Superman's great. And Bam's like, fuck him, he's a piece of shit. And... He doesn't say that. He <laughs> says, I don't know if I can fully trust him. Yeah. That... I might have to fight him one day. And Robin's like, if you can't trust Superman, who can you trust? And that brings us back to the present. Yeah. Yeah. So Batman's like, oh, do I crush do I trust anyone if I can't trust Superman? Do I crush like, anyone? Commissioner Gordon, to really beat this theme over your head, is he's like, do you trust this guy? And Batman's like, I don't know yet. I'll let you know. That's the theme, huh? Get yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, then uh, when he gets home, Silver St. Cloud shows up at his, at his, at his uh, house the next day. And just to explain Silver St. Cloud a little bit, she was an ex-girlfriend from the 70s. She was like another socialite that Bruce Wayne dated, and basically she was able to determine that Bruce Wayne was Batman just through uh, context clues. And uh, then when she found out, she like watched him fight the Joker, and uh, Batman almost died. And she's like, "I can't, I can't ha- deal with this shit of you fighting and risking your life every night. I can't have to leave." And then the story references the story she came back where uh, her boyfriend was uh, a politician, and you guys' arms and legs cut off by a Joker. And just to bring up a funny point about the story, in that story, uh, she wanted to leave her boyfriend for Batman, and then after he got his arms and legs cut off by the Joker, Bruce Wayne was basically like, you have to keep uh, sleeping with him because this is basically the classic villain origin, and, and I don't want him to become a villain now because you dumped him and he got his arms and legs cut off. <laughs> I think they do a good job recapping this stuff, too, because I had no idea who this yeah. character was. I'd never heard about her, but you get the idea very quickly that they were a thing, uh, they regret not being a thing anymore and then they show you um the guy getting his arms and legs chopped off by the joker in like a one panel he's dismembered the joker's laughing with a knife yeah uh, yeah so it does a pretty good job of recapping it she has like a cute nickname for him she calls him Dee, Dee which is super gross when we explain it later yeah uh, i hate i really didn't like that, this that is another kevin smithis-esque part of story. yeah i thought it was cute until i found out what it meant which yeah. is gross but besides the point this is actually the first thing that i want to bring up he was. They recap the that legs cutting thing a little bit, but she mentions that she never actually slept with him for whatever reason. I don't know why. And so she hasn't. She's waiting for Batman, basically. Yeah. So she hasn't been with anyone since Bruce. And I thought that was kind of weird. And then viewing her whole thing in context, even though she's really in, like fun and I like her chapters a lot, 
Kevin Smith really makes her this like pure trophy yeah. love yeah. interest, 100%. and it really really bothers me because she's like, no, I'm pure. No other man has had me, even though like I've had other boyfriends and it's been years. So like it's like I'm not allowed to be my own sexual person. And then later on, she literally, we'll get to like the later on stuff about the island and everything. Yeah. But even though she's, I really like the way she's written. Plot wise, it is like really unbearable to me the way she's written we'll probably sum it up at the end because this gets into the trope we've all hated for a while and it's like a very solid example of that trope yeah yeah she really exists to be like i'm the perfect girlfriend yeah yeah and it's so weird because like it I, i really struggled with if i liked her in this book or not because like i said she was so like she humanized bruce so well and like I all her scenes were my favorite but when I look at it in context I'm like this is disgusting I, I like I think like like I said I think the characterization Kevin Smith does with the dialogue is very effective here but the role she plays is questionable yeah mm-hmm. I guess that's fair so like he's a good scripter and not a bit and not a good plotter as far as she's concerned so Silver is like let's I want you to do me again I'm the perfect girlfriend I won't do anyone else and um so then uh uh, she basically becomes like the perfect girlfriend. She's like, I, uh, I'll we'll go on this island together and uh, make love and be on this perfect paradise island. But at night, you can go be Batman. I have no problem with it. Even though I've had, one of my most defining things about my character is that I had a problem with you being Batman. Now I'm perfectly cool with it. Yeah. And um, so I'll be your day job, and Batman will be your night job. You could just say that she, like, that's how she felt about it. But over time, she realized better to be with Bruce for half the day than not at all. That's kind of what she says. Which is a big reason why I find it so ridiculous that she wasn't with anybody else. Like, I could understand her going out and being like, I've been with other people, and I realize, like, nobody made me feel the way you do. But she's like, no, I've been saving myself. I'm so pure for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty weird. So, uh, yeah. So, Silver, uh, they're, they're, they're they're dating in the daytime, and Batman goes back to be Batman at nighttime. And he goes after Cornelius Sturk, which is a very... Very obscure Batman villain. He was like a 90s Batman yeah. villain that I forgot existed. Uh, but uh, he's a really weird character. He's basically a really, really ugly dude who has telepathy to make himself look like pretty dudes. And that's, he uses that to attract people. <laughs> pretty dudes. You can see why these guys not use that often. Yeah. But like, um, to be fair to the artist, this is one time where the guy's supposed to look ugly. Because he's really yeah. stark. But on, on, to be unfair to Kevin Smith, to, to demonstrate this idea, he just has... Cornelius, Cornelius Sturk explained it to his victim as he's about to uh, cut out and eat his heart, which is what Cornelius Sturk does. He basically explains to him, oh, you thought you are dating Justin Timberlake, but instead you're dating me. Oh, that's my power. I have telepathy. Like, you could just show him. I'm, a, I'm not really a pretty dude. Yeah. I'm an ugly dude. <laughs> you, could just, you could show that visually, but for some reason he has to explain that while he's doing this, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and then really all that happens is Batman shows up and beats the shit out of him. Actually, Batman gets the shit beat out of well, him. Well, he starts to. He, he shows up and, like, a fist comes from off camera. <laughs> Batman jobs here because he's like, I know his I know his M.O. He's a, what is he the hard-eating telepath. His, yeah. He's an idiot. And he's like, he tries to be Silver St. Cloud, I guess, or some other girl. No, he tries to, what happens is he tries to be Baphomet, and Batman's like, I should trust Baphomet because he helped me last well, time. Well, first he tries to be Silver yeah. St. Cloud, and Batman's like, I'm not falling for this because you still have a naked, ugly dude body. <laughs> <laughs> and then he turns into Baphomet, and Batman's like, I'm an idiot and trust this. I would have backed up Ryan at this pointless, but now that I'm uh, thinking about this, uh, it, it is supposed to reinforce the idea that Batman shouldn't trust Baphomet because he trusted him. Uh, he relied on him here, and then it caused him to be. Uh... But it wasn't actually him. That's stupid. I know, but like he, <laughs> him relying on uh, somebody to come and bail him out caused his yeah, that's downfall true, that's true. here. And and I think it does show a point that like 
Baphomet is on his mind a lot to the fact to the point where he's fighting a telepath. He shows up out of the shadows and he's like, "Oh, Baphomet's here again to help." Um, yeah. And that was his first thought, not "Oh, he's dressing up as or he's pretending to be someone else." Yeah, because he obviously yeah. is thinking about him enough that he's trying to make this decision of what to do with Baphomet. Yeah, and so Cornelius Stark knocks him out, and he's laying on the ground, and Batman thinks to himself, "Sorry, Silver, we won't be doing breakfast." This yeah. is the second time that he's laying there thinking. Mother, father, I'll see you soon. Or silver, <laughs> uh, like he's oh, he's about to die every issue. Yeah. So that is issue two. Issue three begins with Batman tied up for literally two pages because the Robin we mentioned before, Tim Drake goes and bails Batman out off panel. So circus uh, no threat whatsoever. And uh, yeah, the whole point is just to show like I think about Batman a lot. I trust him. I I got knocked out. Yeah, and and Robin's like, you made a joke. You seem so much nicer. What are you having sex with somebody? And and Batman's <laughs> like, shut up. And he's like, come on, because it's Kevin Smith. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, then Silver and Batman uh, bone on the, on the beach more, and uh, then they have a montage of ba- Batman by night, Bruce Wayne by day, boning Silver. Because uh, uh, they... well, he teams up with Baphomet. Yeah, he teams I up with Baphomet. This is a, I think this is a pretty effective montage, actually. Yeah, I agree. It's not just like them in bed every single issue, and then him kicking up like kicking a villain's ass. It's like them, you know, swimming on this like it's like it's like supposed to be like paradise. They're swimming yeah. on like a coral reef, and um, then he's teaming up with Baphomet to fight an assortment of villains. Um, I think it works pretty well. Yeah, and he's generally as the montage goes on, he's getting happier and happier and happier. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, he's relying more on Baphomet. They beat this orange spider guy who I don't recognize. It's DC Spider-Man. Yeah. After that... Uh, this scene is so fucking weird. Yeah, uh, he asks... Batman asks Baphomet, like, why are you Baphomet? Like, why are you a goat man? And he explains, like, oh, I'm trying to be like the devil kind of imagery. I'm trying to scare people. And Batman's like, are you high? Are you a stoner? Because it's kind of And yeah. uh, then he uh, does a Batman check on him and leaves uh, without saying anything. Uh, and next day while they're uh, swimming in, on Paradise with Silver, uh, Aquaman shows up because he's like, oh, I heard a woman screaming like, and sound like she was in danger. Uh, what happened? <laughs> and he's like, no, I was just fucking my girlfriend so hard that she was screaming so loud that I called you guys. That Atlantis heard my, yeah. the sex yeah. that we were having. <laughs> no, the dolphins heard it and were like, I'm pretty sure that there's a there's a supervillain here murdering a woman. <laughs> and this is when they keep saying... Uh, you know, it, they keep enforcing that his nickname is Dee Dee. And then, so, and then there's another flashback of, like, Batman teaming up with the Teen Titans and Aquaman. Like, every time they meet, like, he meets, like, a good character, like, a hero character, they flash back to, like, look at his history with him. And, like, I, I think that's a fun framing. I game. thought it was cool. And this flashback shows them and the Justice League and Teen Titans uh, fighting um, uh, Aquaman's villains. And in the middle of the fight, Dick is, like, uh, doing something, and he successfully pulls out this maneuver, and Batman's like, good job, Dick, you fucking dick. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, Dick's like, oh, stop calling me a dick. And he's like, that's your name. No, he doesn't say that. <laughs> it's like the classic Robin fight, where it's like, I'm not your sidekick, I'm your partner, kind of thing. Yeah, and, uh, he's like, you don't trust people enough, fuck you, Batman. And, yeah. um, uh, and, uh, then, uh, Silver gives the Mighty Cyrus face, and says, oh, I'm fine with you being Batman. Go back to Gotham to be Batman. And uh, they... I actually like this page a lot because she's, like, goofing around with him. And he, like, 
he's like, you know, I think he gives her like a nogi or something. Like, yeah. it's very playful. Yeah. And then Aquaman is like, so Batman's got a girlfriend. And I'm going to go back to the Justice League and tell them that I won the, like, the betting pool. And like, it's, this is where the story, like, to me, I was like, this is really fun. Like, this is, a, I understand why Batman is. It's cool to have Aquaman do that, too, because it's like, um, at first I was like, this is a pointless addition to have him be like, hey, you guys have sex? Oh, sorry. But it's it shows like how how out of character it is for Batman to let loose and to allow make himself. a girl uh, orgasm that much. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, like it's 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 really everyone in the universe. Tim says it, you know, Robin and Dick, and everyone's like, "Wow, you're like nice. You're like making jokes, and like this is whatever you're doing is working. Whoever you're doing, it's working." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, like, I, I always like that even though the story's been done a million times of, like, should I give up the, the cow for a woman? Like, when they really humanize it like this, I, like, I always get suckered into it. I liked it. So, yeah, that ends issue three. Issue four begins with Crazy Quilt. Oh, this is something. Crazy Quilt is a villain who has a quilt costume and he has a helmet that creates a light show to hypnotize people. What do you think of this villain, Phil? Um... Uh, uh, I mean, he's only he's only in it for a couple pages. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it fits in with the style. Um, I mean, the, the book goes into detail about how this was like a this is a, a, a villain that belongs in the sixties. Yeah, um, and it, it's like obvious by I mean, just his name, his outfit, the art. I think was pretty cool of his like light show, but uh, it's it doesn't seem that it fits in the modern day. Yeah, they explained that. Uh... Basically, uh, your villains in the '60s and and the Silver Age of DC Silver Age were basically there to be more like goofballs and nuisances. And they did it more as a performance piece. Yeah. They didn't like, and they would get like misdemeanor charges, and it wasn't like they weren't murdering. Yeah, people. and then, uh, but then things changed when the Joker started murdering people. Now everyone had to up their ante and become uh, murderous villains, which is a meta commentary of how it actually developed. Where now every villain has to be, have a big, edgy, dark side to them. Yeah, which I would I would respect this commentary more if Kevin Smith wasn't incredibly guilty of this exact trope. He might not be criticizing it as much as he's just commenting on it, you know? I guess. I complained uh, before that I, I that the, the title had nothing to do with it. But now, thinking about the idea of, like, um, you know, this innocent type of villainry turning into this mass murder, the poem actually doesn't fit more with that because it, it, all, it does have lines like... Um, the ceremony of innocence is drowned. The best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. People going from... Uh, like It's like a deterioration of the world. So if he was going for some kind of apocalyptic event, even if just for Batman, um, this story's theme of how the villains have gotten worse and worse does kind of fit with that like deterioration of society. Yeah. It definitely makes sense if it continued the way it was going. But, like, it stops in the middle, so I don't know. Yeah, that's the big problem with this book is it's not done. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah. but just to, just to quickly sum up Crazy Quilt's role in this, we were bitching about how Kevin Smith makes dark, edgy versions of villains. He does that here of Crazy Quilt, where Crazy Quilt now uh, murders eye doctors, and he sues his eyes, eyes shut to try to be more edgy. Why? To try to be edgy. Cause, that's it? Yeah. So, okay. so then Bafama tries to stop him, but, like, he gets hit by the hypnotizing helmet and uh, he starts throwing up but then he recovers and fights off Crazy Quilt anyway and Batman's impressed like oh even though he he can be uh, too headstrong uh, he, he knows how to recover and compose himself and do the right thing this guy's great he's uh, true Mary Sue 
Uh, I also <laughs> really like that he, like, right outside the place, he has, like, a cooler with, like, bottles of water and stuff. Yeah. Like, that's such a practical thing to have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he, he wants to keep Crazy Quilt's helmet as, like, a trophy, showing how, like, inexperienced and, like, goofy this guy yeah. is. Which is our, our first hint of ominous, that he's like, I like to keep, you know, the masks Oh, I didn't people. even think of that. I I, as soon as I saw that, I was tipped... I started to think skeptically of him because he's like, I like to just collect people's masks slash helmets as trophies. I think that that I think that is a cool little. We'll get into this at the end when we reveal who he is, but uh, yeah, because uh, I, I I read this I read the story knowing what the twist is. Ryan didn't guess the twist, and Phil did, so we'll see uh, what that twist is and how well it led up to it. But uh, yeah. so yeah, so uh, basically, while he's chilling with his drinks and his cooler, he takes off his mask, and Batman's like, "I'm not ready for this level of commitment," and he leaves. He takes it off like just to drink water, like it's super casual. Yeah, which I actually find a really cool concept because like it's always so dramatic when the hero unmasks for anybody. Yeah. And I love this idea of just this new guy being like, whatever, you're Batman. I just take it off. And, like, Batman doesn't recognize him or anything. Yeah. But he's like, this is – it's 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 almost treated like somebody just flashed him. Like, yeah. he's yeah. super uncomfortable I mean, about he, it. he co- it's because he completely breaks the etiquette of what you're supposed to do as a hero. Yeah. Yeah. And like Brian said, like, oh, it's it's like you have to be a big moment where you reveal yourself. And that's why – how Batman treats it. Batman treats it like, oh, you're supposed to wait for the right stage of the relationship to do that. Like, we're supposed to be really close and a butt touching and stuff. Uh, but <laughs> Like me and you, Sly. Yeah. <laughs> so then uh, he goes to Silver and Bridge is like, oh, he doesn't know the proper etiquette for being a serial. He's like, oh, he's flashing himself in front of me. What the fuck – who the fuck does he think he is? And um, then they have this really uh, goofy transition where – Batman's like, oh, we're not insiders, we're outsiders. Yeah, basically, he explains to her that Aquaman heard them fucking, so she has to stay in the cave now, which is a weird thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, yeah, and then it's a really jarring thing just for her to use the word outsiders so it could cut to Batman's 80s team called the Outsiders. I had no idea who these people were, but it was cool to just see them fighting all these weird villains. Yeah, there were a team Batman led in the uh, 80s called the Outsiders. Uh, and uh, basically, Dick meets up with him and he's like, "Oh, it's cool to see you lead a team. It's cool to see you trust people. That's good. Uh, you're developing as a character." Yeah. And um, uh, so yeah, so they're, they're talking in the Batcave. Uh, they flash back to the Batcave, and Silver is talking to Batman, and uh, she says, "Oh, you, sh- you have all these books you wrote about your dad's journals and like all your cases and stuff." Uh, you should... Yeah, he's been basically keeping, like, detective notes. Yeah. And she's like, you spend so much time writing. You've gotten really, really good at it. You should, like, be a writer. And I like this idea a lot because it's like you – all his, like, super obsessive Batman stuff can translate to real skill in, like, not crime fighting. And it just lends itself to the idea that, like, you can do other things yeah. that are good for the world I like that than a lot just too. beat up cri- criminals. Yeah, and, and it shows that he ha- he could have led a normal life. Because he uh, must have some kind of innate, like, writing ability or detective ability that he's not... He could he could be a normal person. Yeah. Yeah. He could be an exceptional person. Yeah. So, uh, Batman goes to investigate a tripped alarm uh, that happens later uh, to see who, who tripped this alarm at the store. And she's supposed to be a uh, Catwoman wearing an old costume. And she has her legs spread open, ready and waiting for him. <laughs> Saying, yeah. can I ask you about your girlfriend with her legs spread? Yeah, and uh, she finds out that Batman's being somebody. She's like, no, you should do me instead. And Batman's like, okay. And he does her. Yeah. She <laughs> even dressed up in her old costume, her Silver Age costume, to like, because he likes it. Yeah. Or whatever. 
Batman is a yeah. cosplay fetishist. I'm not sure how I felt about that whole... I, I like the idea, if Catwoman was... Like, I like it because of the context of other writers making me really like Catwoman. Okay. He just brings it up for, like, it's kind of forced here, but I like the idea of Bruce, like, wanting to settle down and get out of the Batman life, and Catwoman be like, but then what, like, we've been love interests for so long, and I'm only Batman. I don't care about Bruce Wayne at all. Right. Like... She has a costume fetish, too. Yeah, and, like, yeah. And I find that really interesting, especially the fact that he's, like, I don't want to be... I might not want to be Batman anymore. I want to give it up. And that affects her greatly. Also, if we want to go back to the plot... uh, The plot usage of Silver St. Cloud as the perfect, pure virgin girlfriend, uh, he's, like... She even says, like, I know you've slept with everyone, but, like, let's just catch up to that. And then he just goes and cheats on her, and that's never considered, like... He doesn't think, like, I maybe I did something wrong for my perfect girlfriend. He's like, should I be Batman? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, so, spoilers, he has sex with Catwoman at the end. And, like, I, I guess he thinks that because he's Batman, it doesn't count as cheating. Because <laughs> he doesn't feel bad about it at all. He doesn't, he never feels bad. He doesn't even bring it up. I mean, if you're wearing a mask, you're a different person. So, yeah. it's like, I'm not Bruce Wayne, I'm Batman. Yeah. You take your glasses off, you're not cheating. And that's the thing is, I like the idea of the costume and, like, the nostalgia of it, and, like, she's Batman's girlfriend and Silver's Bruce Wayne's, like, that dichotomy, but they don't flesh it out nearly enough yeah. for me to feel like I'm not just looking further into it, like we were with all the Ayn Rand stuff yeah. last time. <laughs> so, uh, so issue five. It opens up with Baphoma is fighting Mr. Freeze with the current Robin, Tim Drake, and Robin, Robin's like, this guy's a pretty cool dude, I like him too. And uh, Batman's like, maybe I should just Batman just take over Batman because like Robin likes him, so uh, everyone likes him. Maybe he should just be Batman. Um, and Catwoman shows up again. She's like, do me again. And now she's wearing the Julie Newmar uh, outfit from the '60s instead of her old uh, Silver Age outfit. She's basically cycling through all her classic outfits and saying, do me in this outfit too. Oh, even <laughs> before that, Bruce Wayne was actually like sp- almost spending the night with Silver. And had a whole conversation about how this is the most okay he's ever been with not being Batman at night. So he's Batman, like, every single night of the of his life? Yeah. Like, apparently. Well, okay. think about all the shit he does. Like, you have to be Batman every night. Like, <laughs> yeah. how do you have time yeah, for him? He's in, like, ten books. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, uh, so now she's in the Julian Newmar outfit, and uh, she's like, do me again. And Batman's like, no. This time, maybe I shouldn't cheat my girlfriend. Maybe that's a bad thing to do. And, and Catwoman goes, did I mention I'm not wearing any panties? Yeah, because it's Kevin Smith. And <laughs> I think he only stops because the bat signal comes up. Yeah. Yeah, probably. It, it's like, I gotta go. And it turns, so it turns out the bat signal was turned on because uh, two guys in Arkham knocked over Joker's milk while fighting. And he calmly said it was okay, only to later uh, murder them in their cells and slip their heads open and, and switch their shoes or something like that. So what happens... After the Joker escapes. Uh, Batman takes him out in literally a page. Yeah, and ba- and Bruce Wayne, or Batman, goes like, maybe I can retire. Baphomet took down the Joker single-handedly. I guess he's ready. Yeah. And, like, and then he follows and, and... Uh, Baphomet home. Yeah. And at home. This was kind of weird, because he follows him home and is watching him from the trees, and then immediately Baphomet turns around and he's like, I see you there, Batman. <laughs> well, it's one tree yeah. in the yard. It's not like he's in a forest. Yeah. Like, it's obvious there's a dude there. Then, like, don't go in that tree, Batman. Aren't you supposed to be a master of the night? Well, I took it as as he's been watching him long enough that, like, he's now ready to talk to him. I interpret it as Batman such a Mary Sue that he's able to pick up Batman's master disguise in the tree. 
That's what I thought I guess. too. Yeah. That he's Master like this guy. He's pretty obvious. He's a guy with binoculars in a tree. Yeah, he's like a fucking void. But at night, you can't see Batman in a tree. Yeah. Maybe you can't. I Baph- can't. But Baphomet can. And he turns around and he's like, what do you want to know about me? I've got two kids. I've moved here from Delaware. My brother got killed by a, a masked criminal and I wanted to, you know, get revenge for it. And he cries on Batman's shoulder saying, why did they have to kill my baby brother? Yeah. And he, it's, it, it kind of establishes them as kindred spirits who lost family to crime and yeah. want to clean up Gotham as a response. Yeah. We're getting into the most infamous issue. This is the one where people refer to when they talk about this series being bad. Issue 6. Okay. okay. Yeah, so issue 6 is... Something. Something. So issue 6 opens with Batman taking Silver to Superman's Forces of Solitude and then to the Justice League uh, satellite and just to show off all the shit he has, saying, look at all this cool shit we got. Also, I love that he basically is going through like all of the Batman action figures from the 90s, because when he gets to the Fortress of Solitude, he's in the white snow breather yeah. machine, you know, suit, and then, like, he's just using, he uses, like, the plane, and it's just, it's really funny. So wait, they, they always have teleporting technology? And uh, the Justice yeah. League does, yes. And they, yeah. they have, like, a space station? Yeah, a satellite. Just yeah. a satellite. They've had a satellite since the 70s. Oh, wow. I had no idea. The technology has advanced so far in, in my my time, says Phil. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, so Batman on the t- satellite proposes to Silver, and she's like, of course. I love how, too, originally I'm like, why is he bringing her up here? Is he just trying to show off? But it's like a pretty cool place to propose from yeah. space. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think he's saying, like, you have taken me out of the Batman life for so long I'm ready to. I'm getting ready to give it up. I want you to see what I'm giving up for you, kind of yeah. like dr- grand romantic gesture. And I think that's really cool. I yeah. think it's cool too. So, so this is where she explains the nickname. Double D. She explains it to Alfred when they get back to the Batcave, and he's like, "What are you talking why about? Tell, Double D? Why tell Alfred? Why? Because she's dirty bird, as Ryan would say. <laughs> Maybe Ryan should explain this because I want him to. I don't want to. <laughs> uh... Uh, okay, okay, I'll explain it. So she, uh, uh, he's like, oh, what's Double D? And she says, there's a reference to the first time they hooked up. And Alpha's like, I don't get it. And she says, when we first hooked up, we hit the double digits. Meaning they, she <laughs> orgasmed over, what was it, 11 times? Well, just 10 or more. Yeah. No, but I think she specifies. And she has to satisfy later. Yeah. She may, he may be calm. Yeah. 11 times, over. yeah. And, well, Alfred says, I raised him to respect women. Truly, I did. And she said, then you did a great job. Because, wow, <laughs> he showed me lots of respect that night. 11 times. And this is actually a pretty fucking good joke. Alfred goes, oh, he's even obsessive compulsive when it comes to that. <laughs> That's a pretty good joke. I agree. I like but this that. whole entire uh, double D thing, the most Kevin Smith part of this story where oh yeah batman's so good at bad he makes your orgasm double digit times now he's double and then he makes a joke that he fucked the penguin (laughs) wait what (laughs) what yeah alfred is like this is all from this is all my fault which is alfred's like really affected by this (laughs) probably because he loves bruce and wants him to be double digits or whatever (laughs) but he says that when they were 15 bruce wayne snuck a pre-med uh like isn't pre-med college? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He got a. That's that's why Alfred is like he's always been so good with the ladies that at a, as a fifteen-year-old he was getting college girls. And she's like, "Let me guess, that slutty pre-med chick who tried to seduce my future boyfriend grew up to be Poison Ivy." And Batman goes worse, the Penguin, which is also a pretty good joke. <laughs> I thought it was too, but it's also kind of weird. And like, it's weird that she would even tell Alfred this. It's weird that Alfred would be like, "Oh, you know, Bruce actually did bang college girls when he was a, a teenager." Like. 
It was funny, and like, but... it, it, yeah, it's funny, but it's just bizarre. Yeah, it really is. It's, it's especially bizarre because they have been hinting at this DD punchline for like six issues. Yeah. I'm like, this is a better plotted thread than everything else in this book. Yeah, is the reveal that Batman's good at sex. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. So then uh, he says, "Hey, Alfred, can you can you uh, drive her?" Oh, this I forgot about this part. How fucking stupid this is! Yeah. So uh, the limo is driving to its location while Batman's going to his location. He's thinking, "Oh, she's so perfect. It's like Kevin Smith wrote a Mary Sue." But wait, what if she's a robot? And uh, he drives back <laughs> and, and interrupts. No, the, the realization is even better. It's like she was made for me, or made for me, and that's what he thinks. <laughs> oh my god, she's a bat. She's a bat. She's a robot. <laughs> so Batman swings swings the Batmobile around and crashes into Alfred's limo instead of just like calling him and telling him pull over. Yeah. And then he he rips open the door and pulls Silver out by her hair. Where is rips she? Rips the hair rips the hair out of her head and puts her puts it in a like DNA scanner that he has and in it says she's a human. He has in the Batmobile like part of his regular yeah. machine. I mean, I guess Batman would. She's, like, crying, and she's like, what the hell are you doing? Why are you doing that? And he's like, I thought you were a robot. And she's like, a robot? And then Batman's crying, and he's like, I'll never be normal, will I? Which I actually find could have been a lot better. Like, I like this idea that Batman's like, wait, I'm a fucking asshole. Because Batman does shit like this all the time. Like, I like that he realizes that, like, shit, regular Batman stuff is fucking a terrible thing you could do to somebody. But then she instantly forgives him and is like, I love you forever. That's fine that even though we've been spending months together, you thought I was a robot. But I mean, if if she's come to accept him, I mean, she did say, like, you can stay Batman forever and I understand your lifestyle. Like, part of his lifestyle is thinking the robots might be out to get me. But the, but you think like a, a, a story where she was a fully fleshed out character, there will be moments where... Her commitment to him be put to the test at least a little bit, but here even but after it post- should have been done so much yeah. more naturally. Even, even this moment where he's pulling her hair, she's like, she says, uh, "Don't worry, Batman. I'll be your perfect girlfriend. I'll stay with you forever. I'll never leave you. I'll never hurt you. I'll never do anything. I will be your perfect girlfriend forever." And Batman's like, "Okay, thank yeah. you. Okay, just so you know, we're gonna live happily ever after. Okay, just so you know. As long as nothing <laughs> happens to me at the end of this issue. Yeah. As long as nothing happens to me." And he says, he goes on thinking about this, like, that was the moment I knew that I will actually be happy and completed as a character, but there's six more issues supposed to happen, so I cannot. Yeah, so, uh, he goes to help Baphomet beat some muggers up, and he decides that since Baphomet is, like, showing his face to him, and he's so open, he's going to tell him what happened in Batman Year One, one of the greatest Batman stories of all time. Uh, Ryan, you explain what happens to Batman. Okay. So in Batman Year One, the, one of the most iconic Batman stories of all time, probably the most iconic Batman story of all time, it's what Batman Begins is based on. It's all about the corruption in Gotham before Batman and Commissioner Gordon get there. And basically there's a dinner party where it's the commissioner, the super corrupt commissioner, and the mayor, and all like the top cops. And they're all like really... Top cops. <laughs> top cops. And they're all hot cops. They're all really like basically we own this city. We can do whatever we want. We are super corrupt pieces of shit. And this is like the first big public Batman display. He smoke bombs, smashes the window, cuts the power. And he's and like he it's just it's really dramatic and really well done. And he basically says, like, fuck you guys, your feast on this city yeah. is over. Now it's time to like return Gotham to its you know, uh, to, to like right. what it should be. 
The symbolism was to show, like, uh, he was able to break into their place in the, right in front of them. Where they and, were the safest. Yeah, yeah. like, he was, able to, he was able to, like, they thought they were untouchable. Now he's like, I can touch you. I can, I can reveal you for what <laughs> you are. I can touch you. <laughs> I can touch you. Yeah, and it's, it's honestly probably my favorite Batman scene of his entire 75-year history. And now I'm imagining Batman just standing in front of these guys saying, I'm not touching you. This is bothering yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> I will turn this city around. <laughs> but what does Kevin Smith do instead of that classic so, scene? Batman's explaining the story to Baphomet to say, like, I was I was young and, and inexperienced at one time. When I did that, I pissed my pants because it was <laughs> hot and scary. I peed my pants. Um, I think, yeah. I have to say, as, cra- as criticized as this scene is, I think in real life that wouldn't be a crazy thing to happen. It's just, like, I for agree. fiction, like, we don't have heroes pee their pants. It's just not a thing that's done. So I think to, to have Batman be like, yeah, I pissed myself. It does kind of like, you know. Here's the thing: in year one, there is a st- there is a story earlier where he goes out on patrol for the first time and gets stabbed and doesn't succeed, and like that's there are so many other scenes that you could do. Yeah. Why this one? And I like I like what you're saying. I like this idea of like he is he isn't as Batman. He's a as person. He's he not like this this supernatural entity. But why, why take this? I just don't get and it. This is a question I'm worth bringing up with Phil. Unlike most questions, uh, yeah, fuck, <laughs> it still sucks. But because um, we have a set opinion on this, but like, how do you feel like when a character, when a writer takes another person's story like that and twists like the entire subtext or meaning yeah. behind it from a moment where Batman is as, as beginning of showing his dominance to now Batman was being yeah, himself. Like, how really do you shitty, that? I think, of a writer to do. Um, you, if you want, I, I think it is okay to show him peeing himself, like I was saying, as a human, but... I agree. You, it's a great you, scene. You create uh, a, a new scene. I, I fapped up every night. <laughs> Sly, year one. <laughs> Always peeing himself. <laughs> um... <laughs> So I think it's I think it's really shitty to take someone else's story like that and say like yeah that cool thing you wrote no he was peeing himself during it if it's okay to do that to show the the scene happening but make up your own scene then of yeah the I nature agree. of the nature of comics is there's gonna be retcons there's gonna be retellings like that's I understand that but have a point and the point of this scene is the punchline yeah because it's not like Batman being humanized affects Baphomet's character after the next yeah. 10 pages. Yeah. How, if you had this earlier, if you had this earlier in the book, I think it would make more sense of Batman showing what people view as his greatest success was actually a very personal weakness for him. A fa- a, like a failure of self-control. And for a character like Batman, that's a huge deal. However, having it be earlier would have made more sense. Having it be this late, given what's about to happen... But- this this shows them joking together though. Batman and and yeah, Batman joke around on the roof and they look up at the bat signal together and they're like, "You're like, oh, yeah. these are like buddies." Yes. Yeah. yeah, I agree with Phil on the the placement and meaning of the scene is 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 fine. I just uh, like right Phil said, you could make your own scene up that picks this because like uh, the story is literal flashbacks. And I don't think most of these are super canon. Like, I don't think the I'll be surprised if Baron Blitzkrieg blowing up a mosque is super <laughs> canon. Like a temple, uh, well, no, a, a temple, a temple. Sorry, uh, mosque would be more controversial. That, that would be Baron Trump. <laughs> yeah, Baron. <laughs> but um, I doubt those scenes are super canon. So this could have been just another fabricated scene where Batman was young and inexperienced and peeing himself. Yeah. You know? So finally, moving on, 
to the next scene, uh, the, the bat signal's on, and Baphomet and Batman go to investigate, and it turns out Deadshot is uh, from last story. Well, ba- Batman also tells Commissioner Gordon that he is vouching for Right, Batman. he gives him yeah. his okay. Like, you know what? You can, The police can trust this goat man. He's good people. Yeah. And uh, so, but, but but they get interrupted and they go to check the bat signal, uh, and it turns out uh, Deadshot's fighting Catwoman, and but it turns out Catwoman hired Deadshot to fight her so she can get Batman's attention. After he gets there, this is when he reveals that he tells Catwoman that he's getting married, and she pulls off her goggles and she's crying and she's basically saying like, "But you f- you fucked me like two weeks ago. You're an asshole." Yeah, and which is valid. This scene, <laughs> yeah. this scene would be a lot more powerful, I think, because she's like crying and saying like, "You're a real piece of shit," and. Uh, you gave me like hope and all this stuff, but it's not that powerful because Deadshot, a murderer, and Baphomet, a new character, are watching this fight and being like, "Whoa, that's fucked up, man." Yeah. Let me guess. You need a hug. Yeah. Yeah. Deadshot says, "You need a hug, Batman," and Batman arrests him. As a funny joke scene. He he strings him up and has has a sign that says, "I need a hug" in front of the police station, <laughs> which is pretty funny, but <laughs> poorly placed. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But uh, so yeah, so they they string they Calvin punches Batman and leaves, and she's like, "You're a fucking uh, cheating piece of shit." Yeah. And um, so th- so then uh, they go to fight old school Calendar Man, because uh, like like me and Ryan mentioned, Calendar Man got rebooted in like uh, uh, Long Halloween to be like a Helen Electric type, but this takes it back to his old school red costume with Calendar co- designs on it, Calendar Man. But but the fact that it's not a flashback. Kind of, like, it's so weird because every other campy thing in this whole book is a flashback. This is just now. Just Calendar Man's here. He's stuck in the past. Yeah. He's in the <laughs> yes. past, man. And then they bring up an important question when they talk about Calendar Man where he and Baphomet are in the Batmobile talking. And they say, Baphomet says, some of these animals should be put down for good. And then Batman says, no, you can never kill anyone. Let me tell you about last uh, story where I chose to save the Joker instead of chase this villain. And yeah. Baphomet's like it's wrong, and this is why I feel like the story needs cacophony as much as cacophony sucks, because this is a like like Phil uh, speaking of these clues to who the who what this final twist is. There are no clues at all that make any sense if you don't know cacophony. Yeah, true. Yeah, very. But true. this in in the defense of the book, this was billed as a sequel. Like it's I agree, but, to, but, yeah. but, but, but we're arguing like uh, like whether we should skip cacophony or just do this and stuff like that. You need cacophony for the story you to do. make any sense you as do. a mystery story. And uh, I would argue that you should stop the book right here and it is a lot, lot, lot better and then you don't need cacophony. I agree. I would stop issue five and you're fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's why I was saying this isn't a bad book because I, you're, you guys are bringing up the point that this issue sucks and specifically the end sucks, but... If a book, if everything is great or okay in a story, and then the very end sucks, does that make the whole story suck? I don't think so. Yeah, I'll get to that at the okay. end. <laughs> we'll discuss that at the end when we debate final. Uh, the so, what do we have? Five pages yeah. left. Yeah, so, what so, happens? So uh, then we get the scene where Joker's reading another Iron Man book. But you missed that. Uh, reading Atlas Road. Calendar Man yeah. pukes in the yeah. trunk. Yeah, another good joke where yes. he's like, "I'm happy to say I puked in your trunk." They, they, were, <laughs> they were carrying uh, Calendar Man in the back seat after they captured him, and they're discussing like what is okay to kill people, and they take him to Arkham. And in Arkham, Joker's reading Atlas Shrug, and he notices Baphomet, and he looks at him and smiles, which is another... Yeah, they make eye contact. Yeah. And they look at longingly into each other's eyes. So they they, they talk about, like, why they can't kill as they're doing this. And Batman says, oh, if I kill Joker, there'll just be more Jokers. And 
I don't think. I don't think that's exactly how it works. I don't think it is either. <laughs> no, I don't think that's how it works. It, it, it's okay if you're talking about, like, you know, when you're talking about de- destabilizing a country by killing the leader, like, there's going to be a power vacuum and someone else will be yeah. a dictator. Like, that's because humans have the nature to, to take over with, and they have a gun. But, like, not many people have the nature to be Joker. Like, that's, yeah. He's, yeah. he's pretty specifically yeah. fucked up in a certain way that I don't think anyone yeah. would else would do. Yeah. And, and so then, after discussing this and taking... Calderman to Arkham, they go to back to the Batcave. Oh, they go to Batcave for the first time for Baphomet. Yeah. yeah. Which is apparently, like, this is the the culmination of the story here is where he's like, I trust you enough now, I'll bring you into my secret lair. And yeah. he does say in the past, he's not even shown, like, Superman his ma- him with, uh, without his mask, but he's willing to start showing Baphomet his life. Yeah. And uh, this is actually a cute moment where uh, Silver's there. I think she, this is adorable. Yeah, Silver's wearing Batman's old cow and it's too big for her, so she just looks really cute in it. Yeah, she does. She looks like a little kid in a costume. Yeah. yeah. And uh, she basically, uh, she unmasks along with Batman at the same time and reveals herself like, oh, I'm Silver St. Cloud, I'm the socialite uh, heiress, a millionaire. And, uh, and So Batman says, I'm Bruce Wayne. They take yeah. off their masks. He takes off his masks, and they're like, we're all happy. We're friends. We know each other personally. Let's have food. I'm going to go cook breakfast. Or actually, he doesn't cook. Uh, Alfred, Alfred cooks. Yeah. And then what happens? And Batman takes his belt off and puts it on a table with a clack And we see a word bubble from off panel that says clack And then it cuts to Baphomet took his mask off, even though his mask was just off and he had a yeah. face. <laughs> Now he has the onomatopoeia mask, and he is slicing Silver's throat open. End of volume one. End of the story for now. Until Kevin Smith gets off his ass and makes more additions. He can take his time. It's fine. <laughs> I like how he. I like how uh, onomatopoeia also, as he's slitting her throat, goes "baba booey, baba booey." <laughs> <laughs> so, just two things to get uh, to talk about. First of all, the most obvious one is the trope of fridging. Which the story follows to a T, because yeah. Silver gets fridged super bad. Well, here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. It's hard for me to say that she's absolutely getting fridged, because she actually does have a lot of a lot of character work and a lot of moments in here. She's might not necessarily be introduced just to kill, because we don't know what happens right after. We don't know how the story resolves. So as of now, it seems very much an example of just that, where like you just built this character up just to slice her throat, which is terrible. It, she has to die, though. She has to die because it, it's like it was the last issue where, or this issue where he pulls her out of the car and he realizes my life is finally perfect. You, that to me was immediately like she's dead because you can't have Batman just be like I lived happily ever after. Well, the thing is with this story, was it necessarily supposed to be in canon? I, it seems like it was. Like. Um... It's not. It can't be can now. I guess it can be. But who knows what happens after this fucking story ends? Because we never. Because because there's the reboot that yeah. happened like the following year. Yeah. But I don't know because the thing is like to go back to Phil's question earlier of if it's pretty good for five sixths of it and then the end is terrible, can it still be good? I would argue that most of the time yes. But now after this ending, I have to look back. Having this be the end, what is gained from this story? That Batman, that Batman wants to live a normal life and that someone who is devoted to helping him do that can transition him out of Batman life into Bruce Wayne life. And that he he wants to be able to trust people but feels like he can't. Well, now he never will, but uh, 
I think it's still an okay like theme for the story, even if it's not resolved. Um, I want to yeah. just transition to what my second beef of the story is, and it's a uh, uh, it's it's what happened in Flash season two, and which is one reason why I hate Flash season two. I guess spoilers. spoilers. <laughs> just general spoilers. Flash got gets betrayed a lot in in Flash. Okay, I like, guess one of the things that happens in Flash, like he gets betrayed a lot. And his character is like, I want to trust people. I want to. I want to be optimistic. I want to be trusting and optimistic. And the story is like, no, you can't be. You will be betrayed. Your life will be shitty. Eat shit, you piece of shit character. You will fucking. <laughs> this is your life. And that's basically what happened in this story. Batman. Batman's like, I. I never trust people my whole entire life. Can I trust people? Is it possible for me to trust people? And the story's like, no, you can't trust people. Everyone will fucking betray you. You will live a horrible but life. But I think. I story. think one of the weird things about this is like, it was weird to me how he was willing to take off his mask and show his fiance off to this new character when he's like, I've never done this for Superman. I've never done this for any of my other friends, my hero friends. Well, because it's Kevin Smith saying my character's so good, he's the only one worthy of it. it it's not a problem. It's, it's Kevin Smith, Mary Sue again. But, oh, but more importantly, this feels like Batman being like, I'm reaching a point where I never hit before where I'm basically no longer Batman. That's where I'm losing that aspect of myself where I'm addicted to everyone. Where I'm not trusting. I'm, I'm opening up. I'm becoming more optimistic. I'm becoming all this. And it's a bad idea. I should. I should. I was right, to be Batman. But it was a good idea if he talked to literally. If he did this with literally any other Justice League. Member. I don't know that's what I mean. But, but, but he doesn't. Yeah, so that gives the story yeah, a very pessimistic. That's what I mean. Like it has a very like yeah. like you said. It could be any other character. This will work like ninety nine percent of the time. The, the, the method he used to verify, you know, to uh, <laughs> verify uh, about trustworthiness. But this one case yeah. doesn't work. And if there was a part two, it probably would be a theme of I can't trust anyone. I was right. That trust everyone. Fuck everything. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, if part two ended with, like, him telling, like, let's say him, like, the Justice League helping him get over this and trust again and hit, it ending with him bringing Superman in or something, that could be yeah. a cool way to wrap it up. But as of now, it just stands as very pessimistic. Like, no, you can't trust anyone. Batman always has to be miserable. And as soon as we brought in some fun with someone else's character, for the record, Silver St. Cloud, yeah. we're just going to murder her. It's fine. Yeah. I just want to say, like, this, this shows, like, the importance of a story's completion because up until part five, most of us were enjoying this story. Mm-hmm. We get to the end of issue six, now we're, we're questioning the entire validity of the story itself, and if there was yeah. six more issues, maybe we'll like it more overall and make up for this part, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or maybe we would hate it more. <laughs> yeah, who knows? But we, would, we don't know, and that's what really sucks. And, like, that's the thing is, when it ends with that death, it's just so, like, that's why I hate this book so much. I hate it more than Guardian Devil. And I, I think I hate it more than Cacophony, too. Oh, wow. Because because I'm not saying it's as bad as Cacophony, but to me, I'm like, all you did was just bait me with this, like, character that I really liked. And and it's not like it's done in, like, a Game of Thrones way where I'm like, I feel like it's an engaging plot and, like, I understand why this had to happen. It's done in a way that I'm like, oh you were just jerking me around so I could feel something when you kill this character. Yeah, and I, I, I agree with that, too, because, um, like I was going to say, the believability of it really makes a big difference. And I think you brought up, you know, uh, Game of Thrones, Song of Ice and Fire. Like, the the deaths in that series, I think we might have talked about this before, but they the reason they don't feel cheap to me is because in the books, they're always, like, they they literally, they have to happen that way. Like, they, they're explained in such a way that the world wouldn't make sense if they didn't happen that way. Whereas in this, yeah. they break it like breaks, it, it breaks the world because how could this guy be such a good fighter that he beats up all these villains and then can like trick Batman so much and then 
sneak up and slit her throat like so quickly with how Batman, the, like this master fighter, not even realizing that there's a problem. It's like yeah. it's it's so much to pull over Batman, like the wool over Batman's eyes that yeah. it doesn't feel as believable as it could or in, in other stories. Especially in in a, if they hadn't included the like I've never to- shown anyone who I am except Robins. Like if they if he was open with the Justice League and stuff like that. Well, actually, okay, this is what I don't get. He says he never showed Superman without his mask, but Aquaman sees him on the island as Bruce Wayne. Does he trust Aquaman more than Superman? <laughs> I didn't even think about that. That's pretty funny. Yeah, that's really does funny. he ex- he he does explicitly say he didn't show Superman? Yeah, he said Superman. His face. Why yeah. does, doesn't Superman have X-ray vision? He does. He wears a lead-lined cow. Oh no, that's but thing. but not, not a version like in the Superman cartoon uh superman discovers identity that way he looks into his mask saying oh you're bruce wayne and ben's like fuck <laughs> yeah <laughs> but but yeah so uh final recap page um i think my, my opinion is uh i i'm in between you guys i think it is very flawed it's what better written the cacophony but it has very unpleasant tropes and maybe it would have been better if it was finished, but the way it is now, I still think Cacophony is better than... I, I think this is actually one of my favorite Kevin Smith stories, which is a very... Wait, you think Cacophony is better, or this is better? No, no, this is better. This is better. Okay. And, and, and this is one of my favorite Kevin Smith stories, and which is not saying much, but it's something worth noting. And But I do think the fact that it's unfinished uh, and the, the tropes he uses do make it something I wouldn't recommend. Yeah, I, I, I'm inclined to agree that I think it's definitely better written. I think structurally, I think the book actually is, is pretty decent. And I think the art is really, really good. I really like the art in this book. But I just, the end just bothers me so much for so many reasons. And like, I could look past Silver being like the perfect trophy wife kind of character because her scenes were fun and emotional and i think a lot of that had to do with the art too but like i could look past that when i felt like they were they had to make her perfect because she's the one who's going to make batman give give everything up but having it end with her death is so shitty that it just i can't recommend it i just i hate it a lot (laughs) but it's better than if you've read cacophony and didn't despise it this is definitely better that that person doesn't exist you're talking to no one (laughs) okay yeah i guess what about your final recap phil again like i said before i i i enjoyed reading it and like it's more than i can say about a lot of other things and you you know we said there's a lot of annoying tropes it's like yeah it has it has tropes at least it has a it has a, something it's trying to do unlike cacophony which was just a, a mess of nothingness um yeah. cacophony yeah it was a cacophony uh yeah um on paper but the end being unfinished kind of does make this not worth recommending because to tell someone to read something that's not even finished just is shitty. It's just a shitty thing to yeah. do. Yeah. This is one of those classic books that I feel like kind of falls out of the categories of like good, 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 bad, or bad, bad. Because like there are, it's not like, like Cacophony was such a mess that I was like, I could see reading this to see what a mess it is. But, like, with this, I'm, like, it just... The parts that I like are so ruined by the end of it. That, like, I don't want anyone to have to read this. Yeah, and the fact that it was Onomatopoeia being, like, super villain again, who's, like, the most powerful villain that could be Batman, is, like... I don't know. 
I read this while I was proctoring a biology final, and I was like, I have to read this biology regents exam to like get something better written than this. <laughs> I read this while out of proctologist, and I'm like, the proctologist is better than this. <laughs> <laughs> did you? No, I didn't. <laughs> no. I did. But, <laughs> all right, but uh, final section, one of our final sections, highlights. My highlight is personally Silver St. Cloud's character. I think she was well-developed until the end. Yeah, mine was definitely the playfulness of Silver as well. I liked, uh, honestly, all the, the recapping with the Robins, all the different villains he's fought. I thought it was interesting to see them and see how he's changed over the years. And his how his interaction with the Robins kind of informs his interaction with Baphomet. Because he's like, they're always telling me to lighten up. He could be like a, a an equal two for me who I can yeah. show the ropes. I like that. Yeah, the flashbacks reflect onto the current story very well. And that's, yeah. that's how you use flashbacks correctly. There's a lot of good parallels. Yeah. So, moving to questions. So, this one comes from Brian via Gmail. Who's the, you know, you can write us who's in. Who's that? Device of issues. Brian, you know Brian. From X-Men. From the X-Men, Brian. <laughs> oh, X-Men, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, device of issues at gmail.com, at device of issues for Twitter, and all that jazz. He says, what is... I don't have it in front of me because I can't reach my phone, so I'll, I'll remember it. <laughs> the phrasing might be different. He's going to call you saying, what the fuck, you misinterpreted my what words. Is the, yeah. What is the most jarring or out-of-place terrible bit of dialogue that you've ever read in a story? He, the example he gives is, from my perspective, the Jedi are evil. <laughs> uh, that's a good question. Uh, I'll, I'll go first. Okay. There's a line that me and my brother, Sean, from Howard the Duck, make up. Uh, we we reference all the time from Grant Morrison's Flash Run, where Wally has to run this race against these gods. It's not important, but his wife goes, "This is the worst. It feels like the worst ever," <laughs> and it's such a ridiculously out of place, bizarre line to put in that we just mock it all the time. Do you guys have any lines that really stand out? You just remind me of one. There's a story, uh, one of the most infamous CBI comic stories of all time, Countdown. Which we'll probably do one day. It'll be like a ten parter because it's fucking long as hell. Sounds awesome. But uh, yeah. But one part. <laughs> one part is um, I think it was Wonder Girl and um, Mary Marvel, the girl version of Shazam. And uh, there's like uh, the world is being destroyed, and the, uh, Wonder Girl turns to uh, Mary Marvel and says, "Gosh, will this nightmare ever end?" And she's like, "I don't know." So is it is it the worst <laughs> dialogue or the worst delivered dialogue? Well, it's a book, so like, that's true. <laughs> it's delivered. However, Sly's head does. That's yeah. true. Um, but yeah, oh gosh, while the world ends is pretty bad. Yeah, it could be. It doesn't have to be a comic. It could be anything. So much bad dialogue in the world. I'll just say from uh, last season of Game of Thrones. This is not a spoiler, by the way. Um, unless you hate, unless you're bad dialogue spoilers. Uh, one character. I love my bad dialogue. I follow that canon all the time, Phil. <laughs> Don't spoil this for me. One character who will not be named says to another character who will not be named. Uh, you thought you needed a good girl, but what you needed was some bad pussy. Oh, <laughs> I jeez. Yes. Uh, that that made me say, "Oh, okay, I'm not watching next season." <laughs> that was the that was the straw <laughs> that broke the camel's back. Okay. All right, so that's a good pick for him. And as always, rate and review us on iTunes and all that stuff. Uh, I submitted us to other listening platforms like Stitcher and Google Play. I don't know if if how long that takes to happen but maybe by the time this comes out that'll be a thing we also have to do recommendations yeah Yeah. so now lastly recommendations who wants to go first I'll go first <laughs> yeah Phil I, Phil I, always goes yeah, last Phil yeah, yeah. go first yeah, yeah first is the worst shit uh, so 
I was thinking a lot about this of what to recommend because I figured there's a lot of other comic stories that are like I want to give up the mask but I can't but to go in a different direction um, the TV show 24 I think deals Mm. with the idea of a hero character who his personal work being a a counterterrorism agent uh, ruins his personal life because all everyone who comes close to him gets hurt as a result so his family's always getting killed and hurt and he's trying to give up that life but he can't because he keeps needing to come back into it to you know save people and i think it it does that idea of um job like your your duty versus your personal desires really well where the whole series is, is partially about him trying to live a normal life but he can't 24, by the way, is probably one of my favorite. It's not my favorite. It's one of my top five favorite drama series on TV. It's really good. Yeah. So, uh, so I've definitely mentioned 24 before on the show. I love 24. It's, I, I ship it <laughs> with myself. <laughs> with me. Do you want to go, Sly? But, oh, yeah. So my recommendation is the first appearance of Silver St. Cloud, a story called Batman's Strange Apparitions, which was a story in the 70s by Steve Englehart and... Uh, Majority of it is drawn by Marshall Rogers, and he's the most notable artist on it. And the story, it's more of a collection of stories, but uh, basically the main uh, overarching theme, the Strange Apparitions part of it, revolves around an old school Golden Age villain of Batman called Dr. Hugo Strange, who is now in the Gotham TV show. Hugo Strange is uh, was like a mad scientist type. And in uh, Strange Apparitions, he, discuss, he, he uh, captures Batman's like a psych unit and basically he discovers Batman's secret identity and um, Rupert Thorne who is a, a classic villain from Batman TAS the animated series uh, this is Rupert Thorne's uh, first appearance too and Batman, Rupert Thorne has a vendetta against Batman and basically he captures uh, Doctor Strange and f- tries to get him to confess uh, uh, Batman's straight identity and Hugo Strange would rather die than let it happen and um, that's where strange operations come into it because after uh, Rupert Torrance seems to torture Hugo Strange in early issues to death. Uh, he starts seeing Hugo Strange appear in front of him, and he's like, "Oh, is this real? Is, is this Hugo after me from the grave?" And the and on top of being uh, an interesting uh, story and, and first appearance of a lot of interesting stuff, like it also has the first appearance of modern day Deadshot. The Deadshot you see in Cacophony, and the story is pretty much a Deadshot that Steve Engelhardt recreates. He was a Golden Age villain that Steve Engelhardt recreates to be guy in the version that you see in Suicide Squad, the movie, and stuff like that. And on top of that, it also has, the, the if you watch the Batman anime series, the classic story, Joker, the Laughing Fish, where Joker makes a bunch of fish have the Joker smiles on them, and he creates this cra- crazy plan where he tries to uh, take uh, licensing rights over all the fish in Gotham because of it, <laughs> which is like the most classic Joker story. Like, it shows his vanity and shows his insane plans, plans like how little sense yeah. they make, but, but how, like, deadly they can be. I love that episode. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's the original appearance of it. Strange apparitions. Uh, yeah, Sly is definitely gonna shit on my recommendation because it's not the best book. But... I'll shit on you in general because I fetishize that. Oh Jesus! I ship it. Jesus! I want to recommend a book that's similar in tone to like the recap through Batman's history, but I'm gonna qualify it where you also have to read the sequel. Well, not the sequel, a follow up, but Batman not Odyssey. the sequel. No. Uh, There's a book from like 2003-ish, I think. It's called Batman Hush that goes Uh... through – Sly hates it. It goes through a lot of Batman's history, much like this one does. I think it's better than this. I don't think it's great. But the art 
is Jim Lee, and it's really, really good. And it, it shows a lot of really cool Batman continuity. I read it when I was a very early comic fan, so I really, really liked it. And I would say, if you read it, absolutely read Heart of Hush by Paul Dini, because that's a really fucking good story. And, and also read Return of Hush, too, so you can uh, appreciate no, Heart of Hush No, that story's more. bad. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I recommend Hush followed by Heart of Hush. I will say uh, Hush will be a good candidate for the show, because like... Writing Gyre, it's a story that I find pretty good for most of it until the end, which has a really dumb twist that I feel distracts from the overall experience as well. But I think that's fair. It is better, this story. Let's wait a little while because it's very similar. <laughs> yeah, it is very similar. <laughs> okay, so uh, that's it. Thanks for listening, guys, for Divisive Issues. I've been Ryan. I've been Sly. And I'm still Phil. Stay in continuity. <laughs>